Hello, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Philip McAleer. Welcome to the Anna Film Scoop. Yes. It's week 95. That's one year, 10 months, and one week since the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. Yes. So where are we today, Anne? We're in a secret location. Secret location. Randville. With the cousins. Randville. Randville, very gorgeous. Everyone has to visit. Really, really Let's beautiful. Let's have a look at some photographs. Um, and this is a very special end of year podcast. Yes, we're going to look back on that wonderful year of 2021. God between us and all. Yes, time. that wonderful year. And we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Ed Morrissey and Alicia Krauss. They're going to give us a perspective, not the talking points, just a, 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 a you know, a 30,000 feet look at the year. And we're going to find out why Alicia Krauss thinks 2021 was the year of the mom. And I, I really was interested in her saying that. So that's it. And what else is on the show? Um, and, you know, we have a couple of other little small stories that we want to cover. The mainstream media have finally reported the most important story of the pandemic and one that we've talked about for basically 18 months. Yes. Um, they finally discovered it. So this is why we might be called the Unreported Story Society. Yes. Okay, so tell us about CBS story. Let's watch a little bit of this footage from Face the Nation. Well, I want to get to underreported stories. Uh, as well. Jan? For me, I mean, I, my kids hear me rant about this every day, so I may as well tell you guys. It's, it's the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children. Mm -hmm. uh, by far, you know, the least serious risk for serious illness. Uh, but, I mean, even teenagers, you know, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting and, di and dying from COVID, which is way lower than you know, dying in a car wreck on a road trip. Uh, but they have suffered and sacrificed the most, especially kids in underrepresented, at-risk communities. And now we have the Surgeon General saying there's a mental health crisis mm -hmm. among our kids. Uh, the risk of suicide, girl, suicide attempts among girls now up 51% this year. Uh, black kids uh, nearly twice as likely as, as white kids to die by suicide. I mean, school closures, lockdowns, cancellation of sports. You couldn't even go on a playground in the D.C. area uh, without cops scurrying, uh, getting, shooing the kids off. Tremendous negative impact on kids. And it's been an afterthought. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt their dreams, their future, learning loss, risk of abuse, their mental health. And now with our knowledge, our vaccines, uh, if our policies don't reflect a more measured and reasonable approach for our children, mm -hmm. they will be paying for our generation's decisions uh, the rest of their lives. So for those of you who watch our podcast, you know that we have talked about this for 18 months. Yes. And it's extraordinary that at this very late date, Face the Nation are saying, oh, here's a story we forgot to uh, cover. And by the way, interestingly, this last couple of days, the New York Times have done the very same thing. The New York Times have run with a headline, Globally, symptoms of anxiety depression doubled during the pandemic. But High schoolers across the US have reported some of the most alarming mental health declines evidenced by depression and suicide attempts. Adolescents have failed classes critical to their futures at higher rates than in previous years. And we know, we know all about it. We know plenty of people who that description fits perfectly. And some of the richest parts of the United States, um, some of the most uh, progressive parts of the United States, some of the places with the highest incomes in the United States have, have, have led to the most regressive policies for children. Um, and children have failed every subject at an alarming rate. School teachers have not phoned parents. We know about this. And teachers, schools have been almost incommunicado with the parents mm -hmm. who are distraught, looking at children sitting alone in dark rooms, crying um, and saying things like, you know, I never look forward to anything anymore. Um, and we've talked about this for 18 months. 
but it's just occurred to the New York Times and the story and CBS. And Jan CBS, who describes herself in her Twitter bio as mom of four. Mom of four and she loves fried okra. Good to know. Yeah, so she's the mum of four. Is that, is that not a It's wheel? something awful. I've is, never is cooked okra. Is okra not a wheel? Or is that orca? Okra. No, okra is a, is a vegetable. And it's something I have never cooked. Okay. Um, we're going to have loads of people now get in touch and say, okra is fabulous. I'm sure it is. Tell us about 538. So 538 um, are apparently a world-class blog. It got it right in the 2020 elections. Got it exactly right. Because they were using the internal polling of the Obama campaign, but they don't say that. So they, they, they said, we're adopting the statistical model rather than polling. So they're gonna look at past results, plus polling, plus this, and it's all gonna be statistical, not emotional at all. And since, basically since 2008 and 2012, they've got everything wrong, but they're still riding on this past glory. Uh, they got Trump completely wrong. In fact, Nate Silver, who claims, Nate Silver claims, he, who's the head of the 538 blog, he claims that he got at least wrong of all the other pollsters. However, I remember, uh, because I used to watch the, uh, the, the election night of Donald Trump uh, on- This was our entertainment, we used to do right. this. Yes, and I remember Nate Silver coming on, I think it was ABC at 8 p.m. Eastern on the night of the election, when lots of results were in, and he was saying, so far it looks good for the Clinton campaign. <laughs> it's exactly where they want to be. And I was looking, I remember looking at it going, well, it's not, it's actually looking- Really bad. It, it was looking, it was looking like there was no wipeout that was coming, right? And it still, it looked like it was just gonna be these usual battleground states. There was no, they weren't wiping them out in North Carolina. They weren't wiping them. They weren't getting 40% of the vote in Kansas. They were getting their usual 32 or whatever. Everything was normal. Everything was normal and, uh, and- But he stuck to the narrative until he was proved embarrassingly, incredibly embarrassing. So anyway, he's, he's Apparently wonderful, even though he gets it So on, his twi on Twitter, and I haven't got the number in front of me now, but I think they have two and a half million followers, and it's 538, and you can find it at 538, um, not written in letters, written in words. On Christmas Day, and just to, it's just amazing, I always feel like we're living on two different planets, they decided to ask this question on Christmas Day. Do you have an abortion story? We want to hear from you. And you know what? They really did ask the wrong question because I think we know what they were hoping to hear. Yes. And here's what they did here. And honestly, I would highly recommend you to go on Twitter and look up 538, do you have an abortion story? Just again to mention on Christmas day, the birth of Jesus Christ, our savior, just to mention. Uh, so here's what they got, which they didn't expect to get. My parents were young, 16 and dumb, got pregnant. Everyone told them to get an abortion. They didn't and here I am. Educated, went on to make into well into the six figures. I'm obviously forever grateful they didn't go through with that. A young woman was walking into an abortion clinic. This is a different one. And one of the sidewalk counselors said to her, God will provide for the child. Later, as she waited for the abortionist to arrive, she got up and left. The baby she didn't abort is our wonderful 21-year-old daughter. I like that response, actually. Okay. Do you have an, this is on Christmas Day. Do you have an abortion story you'd like to tell? And so Dan Ornelius has written, okay, Herod. <laughs> They're getting better though, by the way. Like literally, they're all the same. They're really, really inspiring. I find myself unexpectedly pregnant at the age of 22 in my last semester at college with my daughter. Her father and I decided to marry and she is still the most unexpected blessing in our lives. I cannot imagine a world without her joyful presence. We went, we were told, this is a different one. This is Fionbar. We were told our son had a fatal genetic disorder and when my wife refused to abort, the doctor sneered. What are you, religious? He's healthy, he's a healthy seven month old now and currently asleep on my shoulder, no genetic issues, though he was born premature and spent some time in the NICU. 
Dean Cullinan. My mother was raped and faced family pressure to abort, but she chose to keep me and raise me alone. Five months ago, my wife and I just had our first child, and none of this would have happened had she followed through with people's suggestions. I'll just give a couple more, because honestly, there's a couple more that I really, sorry, but you really have to look these up. There's hundreds of them. Um, I like this one. Yes. At the ultrasound for my second pregnancy, we were told our baby had Down syndrome and her heart was incompatible with life. They encouraged us to end the pregnancy. She's completely healthy and they show a photograph so, of her. So I think he was looking for other types of stories. I think he was. Uh, I, you know, this, this, there's a shout your abortion movement now in the United States where you, you shout it and you're proud of it. And th- they're trying to do a Obamacare on Justice Roberts. So the story is so just, Justice Roberts was uh, in favour of repeating Obamacare. He was the swing vote on the Supreme Court. And the, these movers and thinkers in Washington did such a number on the Supreme Court that he's flipped his vote at the last minute. They're hoping that'll happen They're hoping again. that these constant stories, and I mean, it's, it's just one story after another all the time in all these left wing, all the, all the mainstream media. Because we had somebody explain to us what's happened at the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court, as you know, heard arguments um, and we were, able, we were able to listen to them. They had the arguments in Roe v. Wade. It's not Roe v. Wade. It's, it's called Dodds versus Mississippi, I think. Yeah. But basically, it's it will it will mean overturning Roe v. Wade. Yes. And the opinion. So they they've had the vote. The opinion is being written now, and the opinion will not be published until June. In the meantime, the person who is writing that, who we don't know who it is, is as Phelan said, possibly like um, Justice Roberts would be uh, open to persuasion. And so certainly for the pro-abortionists, they're doing their very best to get these stories out. And 538 asked this question, by the way, can I just mention once more, because I just think it's kind of funny. Honestly, they did this on Christmas day. (laughs) On Christmas day, shout out your abortion story. But anyway, they didn't like the responses they got. So just explain, so they have a vote and whoever, whatever is the majority, the, the, the senior, most senior judge on, on that gets to write the, the opinion, opinion and decide how wide or how narrow the opinion is. And the view is that Roberts has sided with the majority to write a narrow opinion. So they're trying to force him now and they're trying to put pressure on him through all these articles and all these sob stories is to make him write the narrowest or maybe even flip the opinion or make him write the narrowest possible opinion that doesn't overthrow Roe v. Wade in the hope that they can change the court in the next few years. And I think it's important that everyone gets their stories out at this yes. point so that everything gets heard. So talking in fact, of which, talking, talking of, of which, which, we will be doing this top secret um, uh, top secret project. Uh, project during January here in Ireland. That's why we're here um, in Ireland, that we can't talk which, about. Which uh, maybe will be pertinent to the argument that the Supreme Court are working so, on uh, right now. You think so? Okay. Okay. Well, enough let's of that. let's go over. Let's. Oh, for, by the way, we talked earlier about unreported stories. Yes. And we're the unreported stories society. So don't forget in your New Year giving. As you come to the end of the year, this obviously this program has come out just before New Year's. You can still avoid giving money to the IRS by giving money to us. And we are five hundred one c three. And all you've got to do is go to unreportedstoriesociety.com, or if that's too difficult, you can go to mysonhunter.com. But unreportedstoriesociety.com, that's coming up on the screen right now, and it'll be in the show notes. And yes, give what you can, and give more than what you can. Yes. And give until it hurts. Yes. And then give more. Um, because actually nobody is doing what we're doing. And we're a very small 501c3, um, and we devote almost all the money that we get is given to the projects. Um, and we really do appreciate everyone who has donated this year. It's been really phenomenal. 
Um, we got to make a movie. We got yeah. to make a movie. We got to make My Son Hunter, and it's going to be edited in the new year and released next year. Probably should before. be out before. Certainly, it will be out before the midterms, yeah. so the people probably will... before the summer. So people have lots of time to work out uh, who their president is and who their president's son is. So um, we're now going to go over. Actually, I, I like this part, and uh, it wasn't easy to get it organised, and uh, but I'm really glad we're doing it. We're now going to look back. Um, with Alicia Krause and Ed Morrissey about last year. And we're, and we're not gonna, and the, the instructions were, let's not get involved in talking points. Let's not get involved in left versus right. Let's try and look at last year with a, with a, a, a 30,000 feet perspective, who won, who lost, who's, who's up and who's down, and where we are after this very, very eventful year. So let's go over and look at that now. So welcome to our end of year show. Uh, the, looking back at 2021, we're joined by uh, Alicia Krauss and Ed Morrissey. Alicia is a is many things, but she's she is a homeschool mom, a conservative commentator, and a host on the Washington Examiner, and like ourselves, a California resident. But who for now, for now, who knows how long? For how don't long? Don't leave me. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, Alicia. And Thanks. Ed Morrissey is again many things as well. Uh, he is, uh, but you probably know him best as the senior editor on Hot Air. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Ed. Welcome to our end of year wrap up. And and a, and a recent and a recent escapee from Minnesota, by the way. Indeed, down here in Texas, where you're all going to end up anyway. So come on down here. <laughs> yes, come yes. On stop down here that's right. Stop resisting. Yes, yeah, stop. Resistance is futile. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't know. No. I always say, like, as a, as a raised Okie, I wasn't born there. I was a Coast Guard brat and born in Miami, Florida. But my father is from Oklahoma. My grandparents are from Oklahoma. My great grandparents immigrated to Oklahoma. And I like, as a proud Okie and a Boomer Sooner fan over my dead body will I ever live in Texas. Like, God bless you guys that are down there, but it's just too much. I think that my grandfather would roll over in his grave if I settled in Texas. Now, hold on, this, That's was fair. Be, this is meant to be friend, family this friendly. This is meant to be a friendly end of year look back at the year and immediately you introduced divisiveness, Alicia. You conservatives, you're just so... Uh, so partisan and always go straight for the, the, the violent. Well, industry. is that, hang on, is that Alicia's way of telling us that she's going to move to Oklahoma? No, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do have a cabin there. It's my backup plan. Like red, if red dawn actually happens, like we'll load up the truck and the guns and the kids and head there for sure. Okay. And by the way, can I just say, starting off the show and starting off looking back at 2021, this is actually a, a trend, right? That yes. we've definitely yeah. seen in this year. I yep. mean, we, we, I mean, Alicia, you know, we're, we're both Alicia and ourselves, we're in California and it is like, we're talking every day. It's someone new who says, I'm gone. I'm gone. I know. I'm gone. I'm gone. Yeah. I know. And, and I think even Kevin Kiley, who of course was uh, elementary and like foundational in the recall campaign, I'm like, God bless people like him that are staying here and fighting. And he's kind of in the stay and fight mode too. But he and I, you know, he's been saying this on, on social media and I thousand percent agree. I feel like the fleeing from California is occurring more this year 
than it even was in 2020. I think in 2020, a lot of people were like, okay, I'm going to wait it out. I still have a job. Oh, Hollywood is reopening. A lot of people in production, et cetera. I know so many like soap opera stars or models or voiceover artists. They're like, wow, I could move to Tennessee or Florida and just come back for filming. I'm going to do that and get the tax benefit from it. I'm going to do that so my kids can be in school. And I think that when January 2021 came, and then even though the recall happened, it didn't happen the way we all wanted it to honestly since then i've been looking at my liberal friends that were complacent in that and being like you can't run away you need to stay here and deal with what you voted for yeah no i think i think that was one thing that we found with 2021 was that when when the left became when they won the recall they became mm-hmm. emboldened and the message has gone to us in los angeles you're not welcome here yep because many of the measures they're bringing in they're not they don't make sense. And even in the progressive world, it don't make sense. It's just, it's just stick us in the eye, vaccinating five-year-olds, excluding them from schools. Um, so, you know, yes. So the, the migration from progressive states to red states uh, is, 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 do you find Ed that it was more prominent in 2021 or, or what's been your experience? You've moved to Texas. What's been your experience of this great, great migration? Well, I find it fascinating. And I think that, you know, for me, it wasn't really, it was, it was not primarily a political move. There were some health reasons for this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not 17 years old anymore. So I have to start thinking about things like how you retire, what your finances look like, and just the numbers really worked out great to move down here. And it's put me in a much better position in case I ever have to retire. You know, that's the other thing too, that I think really triggered a lot of this uh, mobility is people who lost their jobs or people who took financial hits during this um, uh, during this pandemic and living in high tax, high cost states and starting to look around saying, you know, if this happens again, or if some mm-hmm. other sort of big yeah. disruption comes, I'm not in position to write it out again, That's or right. may not be in, a, in, in a, as good a position the next time around. Where can I be and how realistic is it? And that was actually one of my big drivers in this uh, was because, you know, we took some, you know, I took some financial hits during the uh, pandemic, which are fine now, there's no issues, but I wanted to make sure that the next time out, I could write them out. Then there was, you know, issues like, I didn't want to be buried in snow five months out of the year, you know, call me crazy, <laughs> call me yeah. nuts. But I, I also think there's a thing about being with your tribe. I think that during the pandemic, yes. people said, Oh God, you know what? All right, no, nothing really terrible happened this time, but what about the next time or whatever? Or something did terrible happen. I yeah. want to be with my tribe. Alicia, you're, you're nodding your head to that. Yeah, I, I a thousand percent agree with that. And part of the our home, we're lucky to be in LA where we have a yard and a pool. And I was so incredibly grateful for that. And like 30 days into lockdown, we started hosting even more barbecues and parties and play dates and things like that. Because it was like we were a reprieve for people who were stuck in condos or in Venice with, you know, no yard or an apartment, you know, in Studio City. And people would come over because we were like this safe place. Even even friends that had different political or religious leanings from us. And I think the tribe thing is so um, accurate. And I think there's, there's a major positive to COVID in that. I think it showed a lot of employers that people can be uh, efficient and get their jobs done distance wise. So it has enabled people to spend more time with their family or to maybe relocate or vacation where they want to, that they thought 
that they had to be held down to an office. That's a positive of it. But the downside of it is that people lost touch with their tribe. And I think it's incredible. And I, I am, I'm very curious to see my mom and I always talk about like 10, 20 years from now, when we're doing a decade recap on your show, um, we will be discussing kids in red states versus kids in blue states and how they are as an adult, oh mentally, gosh. emotionally, like financially, everything. That's scary. I mean, looking back on, on 2021, you know, the, obviously we had this election or the results of the election. We had a new president in 2021. Um, and then, then we think we had a Republican resurgence in the year. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys think there is a Republican resurgence? Um, uh, do you think that the Democrats can turn it around? Uh, or just like what we're seeing there, are they trapped in this increasingly destructive echo chamber where they want to stick it to us you know they really want to stick it to us they don't care about us they don't care about our opinions about our discomfort about making us feel welcome they want it to be a cold house for us uh, which is not a great way of winning majorities at elections i might add but are they are they stuck in this self-destructive loop uh or will republicans uh do their usual snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I know there's a lot of questions there. That's a lot of questions. Yeah. Ed, what do you think? Okay, so I, I think that what we're seeing right now is a uh, confidence crisis collapse that's analogous to what happened in 1979 with Jimmy Carter um, and what happened in, in 2005 with uh, Hurricane Katrina and George Bush. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it's closer to the, to the Carter thing, but both of these were crisis confidence or confidence crisis cascades. Uh, which were triggered by a perception of incompetence in the White House. Uh, people lost confidence in the president. And it started, for Carter, ironically, with a speech called Crisis of Confidence. The Crisis of Confidence speech, for those who either were in a different country at the time or <laughs> right. were too young to remember. Weren't born yet. Yes, weren't born yet. Oh, man. Oh. Ah, that hurts. Show off. Show off. So hurts. I, I seem to remember, I seem to remember, is that the one where he said we're basically living beyond our means or yes. remind yes. us what he, what that was. It, it's yeah, I should, I shouldn't skip over that because this has actually got resonance today. It, for, mm -hmm. I mean, like right now uh, in 1979, uh, we had high inflation. We had uh, stagnation. We had uh, just come off the gold standard. So we had all sorts of uh, fiscal and monetary policy going all over the place. It was very, very chaotic. And the idea, we just had the second major uh, gas price shock and, and lines at the pumps. And I remember this because I turned 16 in 1979. Alicia's now got an idea of just how much older I am than she is. Um, so, I mean, my whole first year of driving was standing in line, you know, two hour lines to get, you know, five gallons of gas in my, you know, Buick, which, you know, drank it like a fish. Um, and the message from the speech was, we have to learn to live within our means. We have to understand that this is sort of the new normal. We're running out of resources and we simply can't, it's like one of those Obama things, you can't pump your way out of the gas crisis. Well, it turns out that you can. We found that out in 1981 and 1982. We found, out, found that out again in 2017 and 2018. Uh, so it's that type of, it was that type of message and his the overall point of this was, well, we can still 
get beyond this. It's this typical thing. Well, we have to, you know, re, we have to reset our expectations. And he never used the word malaise, but it was a pretty good description of what he was of what he was saying. Five months later, you get the the hostage crisis um, in Iran. Uh, two or three months after that, you get the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So you get the Soviet wow. army on the march. And I mean, it was just one thing after another that just kept cascading into Jimmy Carter, into confidence in Jimmy Carter's leadership. You're seeing that now with Joe Biden. And if you take a look at the polls over the year, um, you are you see in a, Afghanistan is really the inflection point. You know, his numbers were drifting down a little bit in the first yeah. half of the year. That's kind of typical for a president who actually takes, you know, takes charge and, uh, you know, has to actually implement policy. People are going to get a little bent out of shape about certain aspects of that. But he didn't have a problem. Uh, he didn't have a real problem uh, uh, until the Couples. extremely botched and disgraceful yeah. abandonment of Americans in Afghanistan and abandonment of, that, of the Afghans to the Taliban. And after that, his poll... His polling numbers never recovered, never recovered. And, and, and the, the reason is, is because it's not just about Afghanistan anymore. It's not just mm -hmm. about inflation, which, you know, in the second half of the year, we saw starting to run away. It's not just about um, how many job numbers did or didn't come up in yes. each, each month. Yeah. This is about Joe Biden being an incompetent, the American people being sold a bill of goods about him being a centrist and being a wise hand. And going this, back to normal. And going back to normal. Yeah. I've never seen a president misread a mandate and an easy mandate at that. He lost seats in the House while winning the presidency. The mandate was clearly just don't be Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. I think it is fascinating too that um, I think that what you said, even though we're still, well, I mean, we, we cannot forget that we're about to enter a new year, which I posted a meme on Twitter the other day. And it was like, nobody talk about how 2022 is your year. Just walk softly, like no proclamations yeah, yeah. and maybe it'll improve. And then I follow these other accounts on Instagram and they're like, uh, did you also realize we're about to enter 2022 and you're still like um, decompartmentalizing what happened in 2019? <laughs> like, I feel like that's where the whole world is. And I think that that's why um, voters all across the country, including God bless those Democratic mamas in, in Virginia, were like, wait a second, the teachers unions and Terry McAuliffe and the Biden administration, Kamala Harris are all hopping around without masks at their fancy events and stuff. But my kid and telling me that the schools are reopened and the schools are fine and my kids are fine, but I'm living it and I'm seeing it anecdotally, my life, my kids, my school, it's not open, it's not okay, and it's not fine. And that alone, on top of all of the other things that Ed brought up, I think we're really if I could say anything, 2021 was the year of the mom. And I hope that that uh, it continues in 2022. And if it does, it's going to be real good for the Republican Party. Very interesting. Very, that's a very, no, that's a very, very interesting point. Can yeah. you just, I, Lisa, I, I would like you to speak a little bit more to that because I think what moms have experienced, what families have experienced is really phenomenal. Could you, can you just uh, describe it to us? How, <laughs> how it has been in 2021 for moms? how hard it is. Yes. Yeah. And I love it when it's always like old white dudes that are like, well, the schools are open, just send your kids. And I'm like, really? I'm going to send my kid who is a hesitant reader and writer, but like excels in math and science back to a school where she can't see a teacher's face at eight years old. I'm going to send my four-year-old who, I don't know, the World Health Organization messes up on a ton of stuff, but they actually have it right that kids under the age of five, it is a detriment to their education and their communicative skills and their ability to learn and 
and discern and have emotional like interaction with people when you're when an adult is masked or when a kid is masked. I have a cousin with an autistic son. It has been awful for him in Hawaii, by the way, in a super lockdown state. I was homeschooled all 12 years. I've always been a fan of school choice and I'm excited to see school choice moving forward. And I hope that that provides an equal opportunity of education to all kids, wherever their moms see fit. It has been challenging. And my message to a lot of women, because I think we can kind of get in our own heads and are like, we always have this mom guilt occurring. <laughs> We're like, are we doing enough? Should we be doing more? And I feel like moms have taken very limited, very like, minuscule resources and just gotten it done and done the best that we can for our kids. But there is so much more to do, including getting rid of all of these bad actors at every single level. And I think another thing that we've learned more so in 2021 than we did in 2020, I think the inklings of it kind of started in 2020, but it's been expounded and like a flash, like a ma big magnet light is on it now is how important local elections matter. And it's like, I get that, you know, can I, like, it's, it's more sexy to pay attention to like Congress and, and Senate seats and gubernatorial races. And oh my gosh, he's going to run for president next time. But local races really matter and conservatives need to get engaged. What were you like your top three pieces of advice to people who are trying to homeschool? Is okay. That like unfair. No. Yeah. I think, um, a, a pastor at our church, who's like a sweet mentor to me and is a grand great grandmother. Now she actually homeschooled her grandkids. So talk about like major Nana card. Right. And, um, she gave me really good advice. That was like the first six weeks expect to be weird. Um, especially whether you're starting from scratch as like a homeschool parent in preschool or whether you're coming from a private public situation like we were, um, do the first six weeks are going to be weird and it can take you six weeks to kind of get your groove, uh, and figure it out almost like with a new job, right? Like a lot yeah. of jobs have a 90 day trial now. And so when I kind of saw it like that, that was very helpful. Cause when we first started, I was homeschooling, I was re teaching a fifth grade or fourth grade and then fifth grade. And then I had a first grader and then two littles. And so it was a lot. Um, and then it was that I think it is be okay with recognizing that this might not be for you. I think every child in every family has a different educational need. Um, and, and you won't discover what that is kind of until you try and it's okay to try and fail in a sense um, because you will never get that precious time back with your kids. And then that would be my other thing is like, make sure my, I have an oxygen mask rule and it's like, make sure that you put on your own oxygen mask before you help those next to you. You I cannot educate your kids and you cannot have the patience to deal with the ups and downs of being their teacher and their parent, unless you make sure that like you are whole and you are yeah. healthy and you are okay. And there have been times where I'm like, mama's taking a personal day. Yes. We're going to go to the zoo yeah. uh, because I know that I'm not in a place to teach algebra and she's not in a place to like yes. take it. Yeah. And, and that is okay too. Talking about moms, right? So let's look at abortion and pro-life. So this was a huge year for the abortion industry and for the pro-life movement. Uh, we had the Mississippi court case at the Supreme Court. Um, many commentators are saying that this could could be the, the end of Roe v. Wade. Tell us about how you saw the year, you both saw the year in terms of abortion politics and, and what that means going forward. Ed. Okay, so to, for the whole year, the arc of the whole year, I think what we saw was we're approaching an end game here. 
I'm not necessarily going to predict what the outcome is, but we're approaching an end game here. If the Supreme, the Supreme Court basically begged for a case like Dobbs, this is the Mississippi case, uh, they, they almost advertised that if you really want to, states, you really should stop nibbling at this and give us a case that directly challenges Roe. And by that, by extension, Casey as well. So I think that one way or the other, the, the court track is going to be over here. It's either they're going to uphold Roe and Casey in Dobbs and basically just say for a generation, there's just not going to be a challenge, a challenge to this. Um, or they're going to overturn it and it's going to go back to the legislatures. So I think that this whole year has been crescendoing up to this point. We knew that Dobbs was coming up for most of the year. Uh, you know, the question was what, whether they would take the case and they did. Uh, you know, Texas had their um, novel <laughs> way yeah. of addressing this. Uh, I, I suspect that that's, that's going to be mooted regardless of what happens because of Dobbs. Either states are going to be allowed to set their own abortion policies, and Texas will go back to just having a, an abortion policy that they themselves enforce, not through civil courts, but court, you know, but through through actual enforcement. Or, you know, Roe gets upheld, and this this law gets swept away. In that sense, um, we're coming to a crescendo, and I think all of 2021 has been has been that crescendo. We're coming to a, not we're not we've been crescendo, and we're coming to the final chord, if you will. Uh, and it may take until mid uh, mid 2022 to find out what that decision. In fact, I guarantee you that um, my prediction is this: is that the, the the decision on Dobbs will come out precisely one hour before all the justices are are getting aboard a jet to go someplace else other than Washington D.C. Well, yeah, <laughs> the last uh, thing that comes out. That is a very good point. A lot of the justices are very scared of this mm-hmm. of this, yeah. and yes. the left are doing all they can. To make them even more scared. And they saw that it worked. They think it worked with the Roberts and Obamacare, and they're trying to make it work with some wavering judges on this. But Alicia, what do you think? How was the year in abortion world, and how will it be going forward? I think in a good way, it uh, created distance between those who are a thousand percent okay with ignoring the science that it is a human being in utero. When you have Hollywood stars like Sophia Bush and Jamila out, Jamil, you know, from a good place and other shows saying like, it doesn't matter when life begins. I know a lot of liberal friends out there that like would dub themselves as pro-choice, but when they saw that, they were like, what? No. Yeah. 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 Wait, we were told it was just a fetus. And now you're saying it doesn't matter. I thought it was like safe and rare. And now you're going to this extreme. I think the more extreme the left gets, the better it is for the pro-life cause. And I thank God for science improving every single day that shows that it is indeed a human being, not just a blob of tissue, that it does indeed feel pain, that it does indeed hear the mother's voice. I mean, the list can go on and on. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, much with the mandate kind of protests and even some of the BLM protests that we saw 2020, 2021. Now at pro-life protests, I'm emboldened to see a broader coalition of people that wouldn't have been there two years, five years, let alone 10 years ago of LGBTQ uh, rights activists that are saying, oh, hey, yeah, we're pro-life. Trans rights begin in the womb. Like, whoa, Um, of atheists or vegans or people that are against the death penalty, but super liberal, like ACLU types that are also against abortion and out there on the Supreme Court steps at the end of this year saying so. And I think that 
the crazier the radical pro-abortion movement gets, the more of the yes. pro-life coalition yeah. we're going to be able to broaden and grow. One of the funniest parts, of, and actually funny, it was almost there was a comical element to the Supreme Court arguments, right? It was it was kind of a bizarre. Point that out to us now, Phelan. Well, I think I can't remember who it was. It was it Sotomayor who who tried mm-hmm. to argue yeah. mm-hmm. that there was no significant science? Or maybe it's one of the lawyers. Somebody tried to argue that Roe should not be overturned. Roe was Roe was president. It should not be overturned because there's been no significant scientific development. Okay. In the, in okay, the, that uh, is that is funny. Since, since that was one of that was one of the lawyers. Yeah, one of the uh, lawyers. I'm going like you're saying that with a straight face. I mean, if you yeah, said yeah. that on a comedy show, people would titter and laugh, right? Yeah. You know, it's got that kind of. That's funny because it's not true. It, like it would almost be like, oh, nothing has changed, which their side would say, I guess, but like, oh, nothing has changed for women or for the nuclear family or for the workplace or for technology yeah. since Roe. Like, really? Yeah. And <laughs> like, I think we our, now, I think we our can job- do everything from this thing right here. And we have self-driving cars. But no science when it comes to, you know, what, what's happening inside a woman's body when she's pregnant, that, that hasn't changed at all. Like our job, I think our job is to point, is to point all this stuff out. I think as, as, yeah. people, as people who care about life, the life issue is to point out this, this craziness. I mean, yeah. uh, I just think this, I, I, I almost want to put together a kind of a comedy routine about, you know, people, I understand why people are vegetarians. I get that. Right. I understand how people love Yeah, You pets. and I have talked about that I, before. We've, I mean, we've had I this conversation. Love- you know, yeah, I and, still and, but, love red meat, though. <laughs> yeah, and I still love red meat. But I mean, in the UK, they have brought in legislation to recognize that lobsters are sentient. I'm not, this is not bullshit. This is a real thing, right? This is the BBC reporting this, that lobsters are sentient. You know, people have, you know, we just need to, we just need to point out, yeah, sure. Lobsters, mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. sentient. Yeah. What about... What about this baby? You know, yeah. what about, what about so, this so baby? So I, I want to mm-hmm. talk though about it in broader terms. So they say that the Supreme Court is likely to send it back to the states. They're likely to overturn Roe v. Wade and then it'll be up to the states. For me, that's a very frightening prospect uh, because it's going to mean that we're going to rely on the backbone of Republican politicians. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and depending on the state depends on the, the likelihood of, legislation actually happening where i'm from in oklahoma i have friends in the state legislature and the state senate there and they have been at the forefront of doing this even before texas did and yeah, in mississippi but- and other places so in some places you're going to be fine but then in other places like here in california we yeah. don't stand a chance because the governor's like let's make this an abortion sanctuary no, no, like- but my point is it's very easy to be brave about a and push abortion legis- anti-abortion legislation when you know that it's going to be overturned. When you've no the, hope. When you, when you know yeah. it's been overturned by the courts because it's performative. It's performative. And you can say, I, when you, look sta- at me. when you stand for election again, you can go to the conservatives and say, look, I pushed this through. But you're and not, those, my hands were tied. Those courts overturned it. Yeah. All, you know, yeah. Now they're going to have to stand up and they're going to have to deal with a hostile press and they're going to have to deal with a hostile uh, Hollywood yeah. and hostile celebrities. And they're going to have to stand up and talk about life and death and philosophy and 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 people's lives and good and evil yeah. and mm-hmm. and you know it's easy to say let's cut taxes and let's you know um you know let's promote coal and global warming is a hoax these are these are red meat things you get you know but to talk mm-hmm. about uh, the life issue and to talk about to tell people who have had abortions that we're going to outlaw what you did because we believe it's morally wrong uh, it's uh, and not only morally wrong; it's it's legally wrong. It's illegal. 
that is going to take a lot of courage from Republican politicians. <laughs> and I, you know, we all we all have met Republican politicians. And, uh, Unfortunately. Yes. Well, well, let me let me offer let me offer a, a counterpoint to this, because Democrats have had it very easy on this for the last mm. 48 years. Uh, they have had both Roe and Casey. And let's not forget Casey, the, the Planned Parenthood v. Casey uh, decision in here, which is really more or less more the controlling precedent now than Roe is. If you knock out Roe, you knock out Casey, by the way. So um, you can you can knock down that whole edifice um, if if the Supreme Court uh, has the courage to do so in, in Dobbs. But the, the Democrats have had it very easy in, in this instance. Uh, they don't have to defend this policy. They just keep pointing back to the Supreme Court and saying, well, the Supreme Court said this and the Supreme yes. Court said that. Yes. They are pushing a, a, a policy. And this was very true. This became very true in the 2016 campaign with Hillary Clinton. They are pushing, they, they went away from safe, legal, and rare, yeah. which was Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. thing, which was actually more in line with the the sort of the the general sense that americans had about abortion in the in the 1990s mm -hmm. they have gone to on demand anytime during yeah. pregnancy yeah. which is an extreme position right. and yeah. i will tell you that uh republicans will have an easier time defending um their positions on this than democrats will with yes. the elect Republic the republican yeah. position is closer to the american middle than the yeah. democrat position see, yeah. alicia what do you think yeah, I agree with that wholly. I th and I think that data shows this. And I think specifically when it comes to females, um, even women that have had abortions, unless they're the small minority of the shout your abortion side, they might like be like, oh yeah, I'm pro-abortion, I'm pro-choice. But there is um, a, a lingering question in their minds. And I think that the pro-life movement as a whole can do and has done an okay job of like never attacking the woman. That's why in 2016, I got so pissed off at Donald Trump when he was like, yeah, we." I was like, what the, that's, that's from somebody that's never spoken pro-life language before in his yeah. life or ever met a pro-life person, because that is not how 99.9% .9 of us feel about yeah. it. And yeah. I think that the messaging can be on our side and the, and the data and the stats show that what Ed said there is right. Being pro-life and not being for abortion up through infanticide is what the the vast majority of Americans are for, including millennial women like myself. Yes. Yeah, I yes. mean, in defense of Donald Trump, I mean, are you referring to his, you know, but imprisoning the women or, or charging the women or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that was kind of, he was kind of goaded into that by a reporter. And, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. A lot of it was from the reporter and rather than Donald Trump, right? It was him sort of saying yes to something as opposed to articulating. That was my memory. I mean, the thing about Donald Trump was, that he gave in the debate with Hillary Clinton, he was the first Republican I've heard mm -hmm. say, this is a horrible thing. This mm -hmm. is a terrible yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you mm -hmm. know what they do to, to mm -hmm. these babies? I actually think his most sincere moment that actually was like, oh, is that the real Donald Trump? Not the showman, like yeah. bombastic, like say what I can to get clicks like Donald Trump was when he talked about his his change yes. uh, yeah. on yeah. abortion. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that yeah. that was his most like real moment. And it convinced super duper pro-life people like my mom and my grandmother to be like, oh yeah, I'm okay with voting for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yes. we, we all we've all met people who, who've come from the pro-abortion side, the pro-life yep. side, and they sounded like Donald Trump. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. people recognized him. They recognized the, the sincerity, the kind of the he was like in shock basically yes. when he worked it out. It was like, yes. yeah, do you know what they do? Yes. Which yeah, yeah, I thought it was as you say, one of his so, most sincere. So moments. let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh Mr. Good Trump. segue. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the sense, you know. 
you're, you're, I think someone, I think it was Ed earlier said that Republicans won, or maybe it was Alicia won Virginia because they ran without Trump. Um, and that Biden won the, the presidential election, but lost house seats. That, that was Ed. Yeah. Because it was without Trump. Um, one, one was against Trump and one was without Trump. So where is Trump? How did Trump, did he have a good 2021 and will he have a good 2022 and will he have a better 2024? Me first on that one. Yes. All right. Ed, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that by default, he had a better 2021 than Joe Biden did. And that <laughs> certainly matters. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be too flip about this, but you, you, well, we all remember the uh, George W. Bush Miss Me Yet uh, inspirational poster, right? And, and yeah. I think that you've seen polling that says, you know, on second thought, maybe we should have voted for the other guy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that translates into a 2024 bid. Uh-uh. And don't forget that he's going to be about the same age that Joe Biden is now uh, in 2024. I don't want to get too far into projecting into into, into future yes. years. We're really looking back at this year. But if you take a look at um, Virginia, I don't think that Glenn Youngkin ran away from Donald Trump. I don't mm. think he dodged Donald Trump. What he did do, though, was he focused on issues that mattered to the voters in Virginia, especially the issue that, that Alicia was talking about earlier, which is parental, um, uh, parental accountability mm-hmm. for education. And... He, he got, I mean, th- he, he was handed this gift by Terry Youngkin and Joe Biden and yeah. Merrick Garland for total that. Gift. Total, total gift, total um, gift. By, uh, by their insistence that parents weren't qualified to talk about how their children should be educated, <laughs> which is terrorists. monumentally stupid. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the domestic terrorists. I mean, it's monumentally stupid what happened there. Terry McAuliffe should have won that election. I don't, I'm not saying I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm very happy he didn't. But he really should have been able to win that election, yep. even even in a fairly difficult year for Democrats. He blew it, and Joe Biden helped helped blow it for him. Yeah. Um, you you're look look at Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Ron DeSantis has had a hell of a year in Florida. This is a guy who's had all the media aiming at him yeah. all year long, and has demonstrated that he knows how to handle it. Why? Because he's focusing on the issues that matter to his constituents. He's not getting involved in extraneous issues like stop the steal. The media has been trying to get these guys, you know, tied up into the stop the steal mm-hmm. and the January 6th stuff. They're just not biting on it. And that's what Republicans really need to do going into the next year. And we we'll, we'll just look at the midterms next year rather than looking at 2024. I don't think Donald Trump is really going to matter that much. What's going to matter is inflation. What's going to matter are disrupted supply chains that still aren't being addressed. What's going mm-hmm. to matter are rents going up by a third over a, over a space of just a few months. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, what's going to matter is the massive spending that's going on in Washington. I think that Donald Trump, Donald Trump might very well be relevant in 2023 and 2024, but I don't think he's going to matter a lot in 2022. And I think if Republicans think- are smart, <laughs> they're not going to let him matter. In yeah, and, and exactly. That's the, your end point is the most important point. He only matters if we allow him to matter. And I would like him to matter in the sense that he drops the narcissism a little bit and is like, you know what? Ron DeSantis should be the guy in 2024. I'm going to maybe start a pack and donate to candidates that I like, but I'm going to take a step back and do what's right for the country. And let somebody yeah. else be at the helm and the media will keep bringing him up because they want him to remain involved. They want the clickbait. They want the divisive character that makes all conservatives 
and Republicans, big, bad, you know, Trump boogeymen. And we cannot allow that to happen. We have to move forward. Yeah. We have to move onward. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure that that Republicans have learned the lesson of, the, of how Donald Trump was elected. I, I'm just concerned that they will fall back into the role, you know, where children, when they go back to their parents, you know, adult children go back to their parents, they go back into the role they were as children. I'm just worried that Republicans will go back into the role they were pre-2016 of of, of good losers. I don't know? I don't think so. I think that um, we even before 2016 saw with the Tea Party movement what then, you know, frustrated and emboldened people under the Obama administration yeah. that led to Donald Trump that is now um, the pandemic and education and government yeah, telling businesses what to do that is going to roll over into something else. I don't know. And, and I'm of the mindset, what he did was brilliant. Like what he did, it was like a mix of like fate and talent and time and yeah. effort and like hard work and smart people. And you think, and you also, think no, no, don't forget, don't forget, Alicia, it was also <clears throat> ideology, right? Yes, of course. And so it was ideology. I think, and, and don't I think forget, it would be I, remiss. I think it would be remiss. And I think that low, low elections have shown this and we'll see what the midterms look like in the, in the new year. But it would be remiss for people. You cannot be Donald Trump. This is like when people come to me, you know, because of my talk radio background, they're like, oh my gosh, how can I be like Sean Hannity? How can I be like Ben Shapiro? That's who I want to be like. And Ed knows this being in the industry for a long time. You ain't them. You cannot be them. And so that is my warning. You can, you can take on the ideology. You can take on some of the messaging. You can take on some of the core principles and purpose of it all, but don't try to be Donald Trump because clearly that ain't going to work moving forward and i just for everyone involved whether it's like left right and center i never remember and i've been a political geek my entire life everybody being like oh well how do we act like barack obama or how do we act like george w bush no we need to find the new guy we need to find the or gal gal maybe or a new purpose to move forward so let, let me if i if i can just add on to that first off alicia is entirely correct about this you can't be somebody that you're not and being and be in public for very long everybody mm-hmm. who has to be on on a radio show for any length of time discovers this anybody who writes a blog i mean my first 30 days i was trying to be instapundent and i finally realized i'm not and maybe <laughs> i should be myself i mean um th- i mean th- these are things that you learn but I- I'll, I'll i'll offer up two things First off, I'm not necessarily sure that ideology was in play. Donald Trump himself in 2016 really rejected the idea that he was uh, ideological. What he was saying was, I just want to get things fixed. And he was proposing things that ideologically Republicans were opposed to, like family leave, you know, government paid family leave. And he was really about being practical. The other thing about Donald Trump that really separates him from everybody else was the novelty of Donald Trump. He came in, mm-hmm. he was outside the system. He was, he, you know, had this tremendous uh, backstory of success, and he was going to bring that to um, he was going to bring that to governance. Now, you know, people can judge for themselves how you know how what how much he succeeded in that. But the novelty's gone now from Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and and yeah. without the ideological base. I, I have to say, I, disagree. I just think I, disagree. I, I just think the one I think the one thing I I, I think it, that's a big my big takeout from from Trump was that he just he wipes the floor with yeah, all of the people the, in the in the primary. Like he just he just destroyed them and that, they destroyed themselves like they were useless in the face of this guy who had never even mm-hmm. tried politics before. Mm-hmm. And when you think of what he achieved that for the first time in forever that uh, this abortion issue, I don't want to go back to it again, but the first time in forever, the single most important issue, I think, really to humanity is actually going to be front and center because of him. 
just because of him. Absolutely. It's like, um, it's huge. So, you know, politics, I don't, I, I'm, not an, I'm not a political expert, but I, I, but I think one thing about politics is, is, is actually getting things done and, and winning. It's, you know, it, and being polite, forget it. Who cares? But another thing about we politics too forever, is- And it didn't do any but, good. But another thing about politics too though, Anne, that's very important is that humans have a short-term memory. And so they will quickly forget all of the good that was done by yeah. Trump and they will be fed by the media all across the board, all of the negative. And so that's my thing is like, I don't care about the person or the party. I care about the founding principles and the the forward movement that we need to take to change America for the better, yeah, to I mean, actually make America great again. And so is, I would hope yeah. that 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 we can move forward and 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 find the right guy or gal to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, this is, and that's important too because voters don't like to look backward. This was Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. This was the problem with nominating Hillary Clinton. It yep. was the problem with nominating Mitt Romney. It was yes. the problem with nominating John McCain. It, yes. and, and and those men had could have been good presidents. I'm not I'm not talking about the quality of the men themselves. But in both cases, it was looking back. It was. Well, who came in second the last time? Well, let's go ahead and let's go yes. ahead and mm-hmm. make, him, mm-hmm. make him the nominee this time. Mm-hmm. It's about looking forward. And so if Republicans really want to compete, they're going to need to compete with somebody who is already forward-looking, not going back to relitigate the the old um the old controversies of the past, yeah. which is really what's been going on for the entirety of 2021 with Donald Trump. I mean, this is still, we're still litigating what happened, you know, uh, you know, uh, late last year into, into this year, people want to look forward. And the reason why, you know, in 2016, the reason, one of the reasons why Donald Trump wiped the floor is because of his, is definitely his political qualities. I'm not going to dispute that for a minute, but one of the reasons why he wiped the floor is that people were sick and tired of insiders, Mm -hmm. absolutely sick and tired of insiders. Who Mm -hmm. came in, who came in second in the democratic primary? Bernie yep. Sanders. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at, if I can just interrupt real quick, Ed, if you yeah. look at the wins that we've had in 2020 and in 2021 across the board on state legislature level, school board level, et cetera. And by the way, an increase in the most women the Republican Party has ever sent to Congress. Um, it's, it is those outsiders. It is those small business owners. It is those stay at home moms that are, or the guys that just got back from Afghanistan and see what a, you know, what show Biden has created there that are not now running and winning because they are, I think what our founding fathers intended, your neighbor, your pastor, mm-hmm. your dentist, your car dealer, own, dealership right. owner, your, your local teacher that's fed up and willing to sacrifice and serve and do something. And I think that that's the movement that we want to push forward. Yeah. This was this wasn't supposed to be a debate about Trumpism. This no, was supposed to be looking, looking no, no, back. it's a 2021 <laughs> recap, not a 2016 recap. It's a 20. <laughs> it's also part of 2021 too, though, Phelan. Yeah. I think I think you're. I think it's perfectly legit for this. There was, this yeah. was this was one of the major. But I, I suppose we should we should move on. But as it's our show, I want the final word. So there, um, <laughs> I would I would I didn't get in to say you know I think Trump changed the ideology of the Republican Party. I used to go to all those events and I never. I never heard anyone talk about bringing jobs back to America. I never heard anyone talking about free trade. And I, and I heard lots of talk about immigration, but I never heard anyone spell it out and, 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 want, and want to stop it in the way that Trump said he would. And he didn't follow through. He says mm-hmm. it was uh, probably Congress and that. But he, he allowed people. I mean, he, he, he brought free trade up as an issue. You know, 
and yeah. and immigration. So I, I wanted to talk now about really, I suppose it's, it's two it's two subjects, but that's kind of the same. It's the culture. It's Hollywood. Gina Carano was cancelled. Everyone's getting cancelled. Uh, alongside this is this idea that America is systemically racist, that everyone who says something that's outside the orthodoxy is part of that racism. Um, it, there's a real culture of intolerance that has increased in 2021. Like 10 years ago, there was an idea that if we made the right movie or had the right script, we could get it made in Hollywood. Now pe- companies are using it as a badge of honor to say they fired us or they mm-hmm. fired Gina Carano. It's mm-hmm. completely um, flipped. What, what's so interesting about that narrative though, is I think that 2021 also showed that even though members of the woke left and the cancel culture left, um, say that they would represent, you know, the minorities or the people that need to be spoken for, like women and and uh, Black Americans, right? We've two major cases: Letitia Wright, who of course is supposed to be Marvel's new Black Panther. Her contract is still up in the air because she's refusing to get vaccinated. And then we have these NBA and NFL players and even some baseball players that are groups of the ethnic minority yep. that have said, hey, we're we're not OK with this. You guys can't silence us. Why is the NBA still support supporting uh, like Beijing and China and mm-hmm. communist regimes like and calling out people like LeBron James with crickets? complete silence from those that claim that they are for the downtrodden. So I think that 2021 has been a good year to expose the fakeness of those people yes. and just how politically oriented they are. Mm-hmm. And I think Dave Chappelle actually may be the 2021 yeah. person of the year, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. this is, I mean, when you get right down to it, cancel culture is nothing more than, uh, you know, uh, bullying meets the cultural revolution. And yes. You know, the Beatles said it best. If you go around carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you're not going to make it with anyone anyhow. And that's really what this is about. It's this it's this cultural revolution bullying. And Dave Chappelle said, screw you guys. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it goes and to just to, and, and just for anybody watching this who uh, has not watched Dave Chappelle's special, we would just put in a warning there. It is not, most of our audience would find it very, very difficult. It is um, but, in but, every sense of the word, but I think he's brilliant. I absolutely love him. It's but not family, friendly. It's not family friendly. It is not family friendly, but like God, like that's what the, the First Amendment is for, right? Yes, like that yes, is, and, and this is a speech I love to give on campuses that I am free to offend. That's the title of my fee- speech. I am free to offend. And at some point in my life, if y'all follow me on the, on the socials, I'm probably going to offend you, whether you're left, right, or center. Yes. And that's, and that is, I mean, God, like that is what comedy is needed for. Yeah. I think, you know, Bob Saget said this when he came to his defense too. It's like, I, I'm, I'm a liberal, like, but the First Amendment is supposed to protect everyone. And I often say like, Politics would be better off if people kind of put a shoe on other foot mentality in their head of like, mm-hmm. if it's Donald Trump in office or if it's Joe Biden in office or DeSantis or Hillary or whoever, how would you feel about that guy in power trying to silence you? And so I think that comedy, thankfully in 2019, it was looking real scary with some of the cancellations that were happening. But I think in 2020, people were over it and needed a laugh. And that continued into 2021, where they're like, we're not going to have this. And you cannot touch Dave Chappelle. He's a god with a little G of comedy. Okay. Okay. Well, on that happy note, we're going to yes. wrap up. I mean, we have to wrap up because people have lives. Uh, <laughs> and we could talk to you all day, by the way. I mean, I, really I, I wanted to talk to you about critical race theory. I wanted to talk about Rittenhouse and Juicy Small A and 
and and and George Floyd. You know, but you know, it's um, it's be interesting to see where where the, where the, where we are after twenty twenty one, where that will go in the new year. Um, but let, let's 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 talk again in the new year, folks. Yeah, let's yeah. please do that. Great. Happy New Year and Happy, Happy New, new year. year. Happy New Year to you guys. Take Thanks. care. Bye bye. That was great. So Alicia Krauss, she's right. Last year was the year of the mom. Yes. And uh, and I think that that actually worked out really well. We love we love Ed and we love Alicia. We should have them on more often. We should do this again. And it actually worked out well. And actually, the technology didn't let us down, no. which, which often it does. Yes. And hopefully, the technology won't let us down in Ireland. So yes. you will be getting to see this later in the week. Yes. <laughs> Not that we're calling Ireland. But uh, yes, we're in an incredibly beautiful part of Ireland. So we definitely want to show you some pictures. Yeah. Um, we, we will have. share them with you now. Yes. And uh, I think the more beautiful the picture, the less less broadband you have. Yeah, so, it seems uh, to be a thing in Ireland. Yeah. Obviously, They've obviously. only been talking about getting um, fibre optic across Ireland for 20 years. So no hurry there. Well, it's not, it's a huge country now. You know? It's a massive country, that's true. How on earth could you expect to, to get fibre optic there you on, go. On, on the country? That's, Absolutely. How big is it? 150 miles by 300? Oh, miles? sure, it's massive. Huge. It's massive. This, huge. Is, like, this is a feat uh, of engineering. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I mean oh, it's beyond belief. I mean, like the Victorians, they weren't even build, able to build a roadwork or a massive pier network all around Ireland or anything like that. No, 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 no. Um, that's being sarcastic. Yeah, and we'll be um, more, and we'll and we'll bring you more sarcastic stories about Ireland over the next few weeks. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, have a very happy New Year, year yes. wherever you are. I hope you're with nice people and that you enjoy. Um, and hopefully, 2022 is not going to be quite as miserable for so many people as 2021 was. And hopefully, um, some of these stories coming out now about the mistakes made in lockdown, um, there'll be lessons learned and people will change their behaviour. One would hope. All the best. Bye. Bye.